Father, thank you for this, for this church, as well as others in our community. We have guys here from multiple churches, churches that uh, are, are built on Jesus Christ and his word. We are so thankful that you gave us your word, that you gave us the scriptures. And even as we're hearing about these opportunities in the summer, uh, a lot of churches never talk about theology, but, and that can, yeah, that just that just sounds a little intimidating, but theology, really, it's just the study of God. That's what that means. And that's what we're going to do throughout eternity. Jesus said, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Eternity will be theology in relationship. And the more we know you, the more we love you. The more we know you, the more secure we are. The more we know you, the more peace we have. The more we know you, the better we can fight off fear. How grateful we are that you have revealed yourself to us. How grateful we are that we live in a time where we have access to your word. We're, we're grateful for churches that teach the word. We're grateful for a church like Stonebriar where there are so many gifted men who teach the scriptures and teach them faithfully. What, what, a, what a treasure. Um, what a treasure. We just want to stop and say thank you because uh, gifted teachers, as we have throughout this area and we have in this church, these are gifts to the church. You gave some as apostles and prophets and pastors, evangelists and pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. Lord, what happens is we are taught the scriptures, we are equipped, and then you send us out. You send us out as ministers. We've got on Sunday, uh, we've got the church gathered. But we're not to be gathered all the time. We also have the church scattered. And that's what we do the rest of the week. Uh, you scatter us to our assigned post. And every guy in here has an assigned post. Uh, for some of us, we, we, uh, we work on cars. For some of us, we uh, sell cars. Uh, some of us insure cars. Uh, most of us, all of us, drive cars. Some of us uh, do software. Some of us are architects. Some of us are finished carpenters. Some of us are in the trade. Some of us, but see, you assign us to our post. And we're salt and light where you put us. And uh, you simply want us to follow you where we are and, and Lord, we often feel that, well, who are we to share the gospel? Who are we? We're not preachers. We're not, you know, man, I'm not qualified. I don't have this degree or that. But that's not how you work, Lord. But because of what you've done in our lives, there is, a, there is a light that is in our lives that wasn't there before. And it's not us. It's, it's what you've done. Uh, we, we are amazed that you use us. We are amazed that we have influence, and some of us don't even know that we have influence, but there are those who are watching us as we follow you. So thank you 
for the way that you use us, even as we follow you and we're in the process of learning. Uh, thanks for this semester. Thanks for these guys who come with open hearts, open Bibles, um, quick to hear, quick to follow, quick to obey. What a great group of guys to teach. We ask for your favor over the summer until we, uh, Lord willing, get back again in, in the fall and pick this up again. Uh, thank you for your faithfulness to us. In every season of the year, your mercies are new every morning. We thank you for this. Now instruct us tonight as we finish out this semester, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have been doing this uh, series kind of loosely based on the book I did called Point Man and uh, about being a spiritual leader of your family, <laughs> kind of broke down spiritual leadership into some bite-sized pieces, looked at it over the weeks. Uh, I got to the end of the book about uh, four weeks ago and didn't want to start a new series and I thought to myself, well... If I was writing Point Man all over again, what would I put in that I didn't put in the first time around? And that's kind of what we've been doing over the last several weeks. So we talked about a, a leader and his uh, depression. We talked about a leader and providence, God's providence in our lives. Uh, tonight, I want to talk about a leader and his future. Uh, we think about the future a lot. Um, uh, we, we do. It's, it's, what, it's what's ahead of us. Uh, we have to think about the future. We have to make plans. We have to, um, we have to provide. And when you break that word provide down, it, it really, the root of it has to do with looking ahead. Looking ahead. If, if you get a rumor that uh, there's going to be layoffs where you work, you get concerned. Why? Because you're thinking ahead as to how you're going to provide. Uh, men are called to provide. Uh, we're to think of the future, but on the other hand, there is something that can happen to us as we think about the future, and that is that we can get um, fearful of the future. We can get um, anxious about the future. We can find ourselves in a position where we almost become obsessed with the future, especially when we're living in times like we're living in. Uh, I'd like you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Paul is talking to his uh, young protege, Timothy. And <clears throat> if you ever watch some of these detective shows on TV... And, you know, they're following a series of crimes. And what they do is they, they, they figure out, they think it's one guy who's doing this. And what they do is they kind of put together a profile on this guy. There are certain guys in Scripture that here and there we have enough biographical information about them that you can get a profile on them. And one of those guys is Timothy. And one of the things that we find out about Timothy because he was with Paul in, uh, you know, First and Second Timothy, uh, this guy was a key player. He, he was a young man. Uh, we have some biographical information on him. I'm not going to go into much of that except to say this. Uh, one of the things we know about Timothy is that he tended towards uh, being a fearful guy. 
Timothy, if he had played football, would not have been a middle linebacker. Um, middle linebackers, anybody, any guy who's a, who's a linebacker or a free safety, if you look deep into their eyes, you'll see the word tilt. <laughs> There's something not quite right. Because they have no fear. My youngest brother, Jeff, was a linebacker. Uh, Jeff was a walk-on at UCLA. Uh, Jeff always had knee problems. He had his knee drained 65 times at UCLA. And they said, that's it, you're done, no more. So he went and played rugby for 14 years. <laughs> rugby is football without pads. Uh, tough sport. And so now Jeff, I don't know, how many surgeries? 20, 21, 22, three knee replacements before he was, I think 40, at the outset 42. Lives in chronic pain to this day. Um, and, but, but see, so much of that was Jeff's temperament. Because in the time he was a little bitty guy, he had no fear. He was just crazy. <laughs> oh, I'm serious, it was just any. And he had two older brothers, and he was going to outdo us. And, you know, we were bigger, and, but that wasn't going to stop him. And I remember when I was, off in, was, I was in college, and Jeff was playing uh, varsity football, uh, Mike, at Cappuccino. And uh, he, uh, he'd call me, and he would tell me how the game went. And he, Jeff would get real excited if he hit a guy hard enough and he knocked the guy out. This is absolutely true. And then he called me one night, and he was really excited, because not only did he knock the guy out, he knocked himself out. <laughs> I am not exaggerating. He was pumped. He was pumped. Timothy was not like that. <laughs> Timothy, if he had played, he would have been a wide receiver who would never run a crossing pattern. <laughs> he wasn't going across the middle because he didn't want some safety taking his head off. He'd run down and out. <laughs> or he'd run a post. But he's not going into where the combat is. He just, it, it, his temperament, it, he wasn't that kind of guy. He didn't like conflict. And he was in a pretty tough situation. And he was watching Paul, and he was watching the stuff that happened to Paul, and he was watching some of the sufferings and the persecution. And inevitably, he's thinking, man, what if that happens to me in the future? I'm not sure I can handle this. And, and the thing was, during this particular time when the scripture was being written, uh, Christianity wasn't real popular, just as it isn't real popular right now. Uh, there was this guy on the throne named Nero. Not a real big fan of Christianity. Had a way of taking Christians and uh, propping them up on poles on the road into Rome and covering them in pitch and then lighting them. And they, would, they were human torches and they would light the road into Rome. Unbelievable persecution. Now, who wants to go through that? Nobody. But it was reality, and it, was, it, it, and it was happening, and it seemed like there was more coming. 
And Timothy, as a result, was dealing with some fear, undoubtedly some fear about his life because he was young. This stuff didn't look like it was going away. And he was concerned uh, not only about the problems in the churches that he was dealing with, he had been given a lot of responsibility by Paul. He was a young pastor. But also just about what he might face in the future. So in Tim, 2 Timothy 1.7, Paul writes and, and he tells him this. He says, Timothy, God has not given us, he has not given us a spirit of fear, but that of power and of love and of sound judgment. Or you could render it this way. God has not given us a spirit of cowering, a spirit of cowardice, uh, but that of power and of love and of sound thinking or sound discipline. Discipline is, is a result of sound thinking. You see, that stuff's all tied together. Um, and, and, and Paul was not trying to just encourage him in spite of the facts. Paul full well knew what the facts were. Paul had been persecuted. It, it was commonplace to Paul. In, in fact, he goes on in 2 Timothy, if you look at chapter 3, and as he's continuing his letter to Timothy, he says this to him. I mean, he just shoots straight. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Um, are we in the last days? Uh, I think so. I, 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 we're definitely closer. We, we are closer into the last days than Paul and Timothy were. You see? And they, they felt that the return of the Lord was imminent. Sometimes people say, see, those guys missed it. They, they thought the Lord was coming back right away, and, and, uh, and he didn't come right away. I like what Pat Morley says. Pat Morley says there's such, a, there's such a thing as Bible time. And Bible time is a little different than our time frame because, you see, the Scripture says that the day is, as to the Lord, like a thousand years. Well, it was a thousand years. I mean, we have a hard time fathoming a thousand years. But to the Lord, a thousand years, I mean, it's like a day. So when you think about it, this was 2,000 years ago. We're just a couple of days ahead of them. You see what I'm saying? On that time frame. Uh, we're in the last days. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I said this last week or not, but I was, you know, I got my calendar, my Bible reading I do, and I'm kind of, I'm, I'm trying to accelerate it. And anyway, I am. Uh, so I'm in Ezekiel right now. And uh, I'm reading Ezekiel 30. You get in the 30s. It gets, it's, it's kind of wild. Because you get these hints all the way through, and you get into 37, and he says, listen, I'm going to gather the nation of Israel back together as a nation. Well, there's never been a nation in the world that's been scattered and lost their country and then come back together. But God said, I'm going to do this. It's a marker. I, I have seen commentaries written in the 1700s and the 1800s where the gentleman writing said, one day in the future... The nation of Israel will be restored to their land, and they will become a nation again. Well, that happened in 1948. That's a marker. 
Oh, and then you keep reading. And it talks about, I think I did mention this last week, it talks about Gog and Magog. And you do a little homework and you find out that's to the north, that's Russia. And then it talks about an alliance that's going to happen with some other nations and they're going to come in and they're going to attack Israel. And one of the nations that's mentioned is Persia. Well, Persia is Iran. There's never in history been a, a, an alliance between Persia, between Iran and Russia until a few years ago. So are we in the last days? Yeah. Yeah, I think we are. Well, how, how close do you think we are? What do you think? Huh? What do you think? I don't know. I mean, how would I know? How would you know? There are markers, but we just, all we need to know is that we're moving into the last days, right? But know this. Here's what we do know. Watch this. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. So what does that tell me about my future? Difficulties in front of me. And we look around where we are right now, and you've got a different perception about our nation than you did 10 years ago. Because so many things are happening so quickly. Is it Psalm 11, 3, that says if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? We've been watching foundations. Uh, we've been watching them under attack. We've been watching them being battered since the 60s. But now we're watching them fall almost on a daily basis. Just dumb everywhere you look. It's just breathtaking how fast this is happening. And here is why, you see, I want to address this issue of a leader and his future. Because we're Americans. We have lived in a time of tremendous prosperity. We've lived in a, I mean, it's been unbelievable. If you're a baby boomer, you, we, hey, we, we've had conflict and we've had some difficult. We've been a blessed nation. Uh, things are changing. Things are changing and they're changing rapidly. And see, guys, think about this all the time. You think about this as a leader. You think about this as a husband. You think about it as a father. You think about it as a businessman. You see in the commerce world and business, you see more and more regulations tying you up. You see playing fields changed in terms of 10 years ago, this wasn't there and this wasn't there and this wasn't there and you got to jump through this hoop and this hoop and this hoop. Uh, you see it everywhere. It's just being, um, we're just being bureaucrated to death. Yeah, we are. Uh, things are changing, things are changing rapidly. Now, we could talk for an hour about all this. We don't need to, you get it. This is why, and, and, and once again, I, I, I think this is foremost on the minds of men. Men who love Christ, men who are following Christ, men who uh, are, want to lead their family, want to follow Christ, want to influence their family, disciple their families. So often, because of what we see going around us, 1 Chronicles 12, 32, the sons of Issachar were men who understood the times. They discerned, they had discernment about what was going on in their times. Well, we need to be men of Issachar. We're, we're, we need to understand our times. There is a rapid shift, and it's going down like dominoes, okay? So then what does that make me think often? I often think, what kind of world, what kind of nation are my kids going to live in? 
What's it going to be for my kids in 10 years? You know, I'm 64. I'll be checked out of here before long. Uh, it could be Saturday, the way I'm feeling tonight. I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. But say it's 20 years, 25 years. Okay, I'm still checking out. I'm not going to be around for a lot of this stuff. But my kids are and the grandkids are. You ever think about this? You think about it all the time. <sighs> don't you? And you read your Bible and you know what Jesus said in Matthew 24, and you know, 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, and you know we're in it. And it's going to pick up momentum. You know that. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, that, think about that, without self-control. How often do you see that now in our culture? Everywhere you see no self-control. Why? Because I have, the most important thing in life is my personal freedom. Is my, I have rights. My rights, my personal freedom trumps everything else. I don't need self-control. I don't need to be controlled by law or authority or anything. And if you don't agree with me, I'm going to take you down and I'm going to destroy you. Brutal. Watch this. Haters of good. So why is it that evangelical Christianity, we're the bad guys. Why is that? Well, because we stand for the truth of God's word. There's good and there's evil. If, if you love the Lord and you love his word, someone will come along and call you a hater. If you just stand, if you just stand on the truth, if you just believe what God says in his word, if, if you just think that marriage is between a man and a woman and you think, I mean, that's always been in the laws, and so, hey, you're a, you're a citizen of the United States of America, and you've got freedom of speech, and, you know, there's a democratic process here, and so you write a check to help that out so that'll stay in place, and then they release your name, and suddenly they find out, and, you know, you're not working there anymore. Yeah, there are guys in this room who've been through that firsthand. We're living in a time where there are people who are brutal, who are haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. You have people like this, quote-unquote, in, in churches. They, they, they have ordination, and they have their rituals, and they have all this, but there, there's no scripture. There's, there's no... There's no bowing to Christ. There's no bowing to his word. It's editing. It's changing. It's redefining. It's okay. You get it. Uh, jump down to verse 10. Paul says, now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all, the Lord rescued me. 
Now watch this. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now there's a verse you can put on your refrigerator. <laughs> oh, isn't that neat? <laughs> you don't see that in Christian bookstores calligraphy too often, do you? You see a lot of bumper stickers in some guy's truck? Indeed, all who love will be persecuted. That's not a real popular verse, but it's the word of God. And it's true of our age. And you know it. And you're aware of it. And you think about it a lot. Because you see it happening and you see it increasing. So therefore you think a lot about your future. But Steve, things are going to get better and better. I really believe that. Well, you're wrong. Not because I... But look at verse 13. But evil men and imposters will proceed from bad to worse. Deceiving and being deceived. Okay? Now watch this. You, however. You. Timothy, you. Continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of. Knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Every good work. Uh, scripture is sufficient. I had a guy today walk up to me with a little booklet that is the best-selling Christian book in the world right now. A little devotional. And he said, I've been reading this for three years. And when I read this, it's like I hear the voice of Jesus. And he said, what do you think about this book? I said, I'm familiar with it. He said, well, what's your take on it? And I, I said, well, can I see it for a minute? And he said, sure. And I said, well, let's see what edition this is of this book. And so I went to the introduction, and the lady who wrote the book, the book is called Jesus Calling, in case you're wondering. Um, I went to the introduction, and I, I said, let me, let me see if I can find something here. And I'm flipping through, and I'm flipping through, and I'm flipping through, and I go, right here. And then she talks about a book that she read that really influenced her written by two people who helped her understand how she could hear the voice of God. Now, I said, what's interesting about that paragraph is that later editions have been taken out by the publisher. Because that book, which has influenced her, those people are not Christians. Those people practice for, I mean, it, what the Old Testament would call divination. They are not Christians. They don't believe in, believe in the scriptures. They're not under the authority of the word of God. This is a completely foreign concept to the word of God. Because I said, and, and by the way, I said, you know, most classic devotionals, like uh, my utmost for his highest, Oswald Chambers. You open that up, <clears throat> there's going to be a passage of scripture. Be printed out, and then Chambers will kind of just make some, you know, some brief um, points off of the passage of Scripture. You read Morning and Evening by Charles Spurgeon, same thing. You got the Scripture right up front, and Spurgeon will comment on something in the passage. 
You see? I said, now look at this, how this book is laid out. You see, you see any scripture printed out? He said, no. I said, you, you see any scripture references at all? Not on the top, on the bottom. The verse isn't printed out. You have the one or two scripture verses in a very small font. That's it. I said, just based on the introduction and the influence, um, I, I said, can I tell you? I, and a lot of people, you know, it's like I hear the voice of Jesus. Yeah, but, yeah, but let me tell you something. This is the voice of Jesus. Why would you need that when you have this? Well, I really want to hear his voice. You, you think this isn't? This is his word. He is the living word. This is his written word. If your Bible publisher was consistent, some of you guys have the words of Jesus in red. The whole thing would be in red. This is the word of Christ. Oh, and by the way, by the way, turn to the last chapter. I mean, just, just kind of interesting. Don't want to don't want to be intolerant here. <laughs> Revelation 22, verse 18, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. If anyone takes away the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. That's not the only place in scripture where it says that. You don't add to and you don't take away from this book. Because this book is not Microsoft Word, it's the Word of God. You don't edit it, you don't highlight it and cut it and paste it and delete it. And Oh, what did I just hear? Oh, Jesus said this to me. Here, let me, let me write this down. I'm telling you, that's not the voice of Jesus. Now, it may sound similar in some spots, but as some have analyzed it, the same themes are talked about over and over again, but certain themes are never talked about that are consistently talked about by Jesus in his book. Why go for a synthetic? Why go for the substitute when you got this? I had no intention of doing this tonight on that point, but it happened, uh, and it's the best-selling Christian book in the world. Um, and it's influenced by two women who have absolutely nothing to do with Jesus Christ. So consider that. And uh, plug it in. This book is above every book. Every book is under this book, and every book in the world is judged by this book. Okay? All right. But I really want everyone to like me. It's really important. <laughs> but, but see, and James Montgomery Boyce, who for a long time was pastor at 10th Presbyterian, died of cancer just a few years ago. Great, great scholar, great man of God, who followed Donald Gray Barnhouse in that pulpit at 10th Pres in Philadelphia. And, and James Montgomery Boyce saw this coming 20 years ago. He said, down the road, the real issue is going to be not the inspiration of Scripture, it's going to be the sufficiency of Scripture. 
Is Scripture sufficient? This says, watch this, all Scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The idea there is that the man of God may be completely furnished, equipped for every good work. In other words, what you need to be completely furnished is here. It's nowhere else. So you don't need that. You need this. And the more you put this in your mind, the more you're... You, you don't need little sweet nothings being whispered to you that you think is... You need the Word of God is what you need. You don't need something dipped in milk chocolate. Do you? Well, that makes me feel better. Well, sometimes I don't need to be made... I don't need to feel better. Sometimes I need to be... What does it say? All scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching for reproof. Sometimes I need to be reproved. I need to be corrected. Why? Because I'm off. I don't need to read some little pink little night. It didn't help me. I'm in war. I'm in battle. All, uh, go to Hebrews. Um, where are we going? I'll tell you when we get there. Go to Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to, in, to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. He knows my heart. He knows what I need. When I need encouragement, he encourages me. When I need to be reproved, he reproves me. Just like we do with our kids. Only he does it far better than we. He never makes mistakes. We do. You see what I'm saying? I don't need some nice little soft little voice. Oh, I think that's Jesus. I, I need his word. I need it. I need the whole thing. Am I making sense? Okay. And we're, hey, listen, listen. We're living in, 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 in last days, in difficult times, I need the truth. I need the truth of God is what I need. You, you look out at the future. How do you have any peace? How do you have any hope? So much, Hey, guys, so much of the Christian life is fighting off fear. Is it not? Yes, it is. You know as well as I do. Every time you turn on the news, the freedoms we've had are being taken away. They're being bureaucratized to death or they're being in the courts to death or litigated or this or this. Freedom of speech? You can kiss that off. You, you better toe the party line. Freedom of religion, you better kiss that off if you believe this book. You got a pastor in Arizona in jail for having a Bible study in his home with more than the allotted number of people. You got a county in Virginia right now mandating how many people you can have meet in your home. What? They're taking, they're, the freedoms are being taken away. And let me tell you what that means. That means difficult times are going to come for believers in Christ. 
You know this, you know it, you think about it all the time. So here's my question. And you say, some of you guys have been here and you say, you know, Steve, I've heard you talk about this before. In fact, I've heard you talk about this a lot. There are two things you're going to hear me talk about a lot. Number one is where we are, and number two is the sovereignty and providence of God. Because for where we are, if you're not firmly grounded and rooted on the sovereignty and, promise and, 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 and um, providence of God, uh, hey, man, you're toast. It's curtains. How in the world are you going to be a stable influence for Christ in your home? How in the world are you... Um, we talked about being a spiritual leader. Husband and father, you're leading your wife and kids. You want to spiritually um, lead them and be an example of them in Christ. And we've talked about the different aspects. But you see, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. In the midst, as things get more difficult and they get tougher and tougher, you know what your family's going to need from you? They're going to need you to be calm. They're going to need you to be stable. They're going to need you to be well-grounded. This is what they need from us. When, when our kids, something happens to school and somebody rips up their reputation or starts texting and Facebooking on them and all this, where are they going to run? They, they should be able to run to you. You see? You can't protect kids from everything. In fact, we've swung too far because we try to protect our kids from any kind of pain. We don't want them to take risks. We don't want them to get hurt. You, you can't do that. And we need God's wisdom as fathers to know when a kid needs to take a risk because you can't put fear in their hearts. You've got to let them take a risk. They, they might get hurt. Well, they, they're going to need to get hurt. They're, gonna have to come, uh, they're not going to be a success at everything. Oh, you can be anything you want. No, he can't. No, she can't. Honey, you can be any. No, no, no. Don't lie to him. That kid, that kid. Listen, when I was a senior, I was in algebra. I was not in algebra one. I was in algebra 0. 0.5. I'm not exaggerating. San Mateo High School. I was in Algebra 0.5. I was the only senior, and it was a bunch of freshmen who were stupid. <laughs> and I was the king of the class. Uh, I, my math, I, I mean, it's just not there. I don't have it. I'm just being honest with you. I don't, I, when God was giving those things out, I was in the men's room. I, I, I got no math. I don't get it. My son Josh, he's got no math. RSAT, you know, on the lit side, and English, okay, we're all right. Yeah, math, you know, it's on the floor. It's just how we are. So don't tell me I can be a nuclear physicist. <laughs> oh, Steve, you can be. No, I can't. I don't have the. I don't have the aptitude. I, I don't get that stuff. But what do? But but where are they wired? Where are they gifted? You see, or they're not good at sports. They go, well, you know, you got to be. You're not cool if you're not good at sports. No, you're not, son. Come here, let me talk to you. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something about football. Okay. Uh, you see these guys walking around your school, and they're, 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 they're taking steroids and all this stuff. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something about football. Football is a game. It's a game. It, it's, it's fun. Baseball is a game. Basketball is a game. But they're games. They're games. And there are guys who are really, really good, 
And a few of them are going to make it to the top and they're going to make a lot of money. And then about half of them, they're going to be done after three or four years. And most of them are going to be, not most of them, but a lot of them will be bankrupt and lose everything by the time they're 30. See, what I want to prepare you for is life. Life. Games are fun. Yeah, it's fun. You get out there and play ball. But it's not life. It's a game. Well, I want, my, I want my son to hit a curveball. How about a moral curveball? You ever talk to me about that? Because it's going to get tougher and tougher. See, what, what are needed are fathers, grandpas, who are stable, who are calm as things get tougher and tougher. And the only way you do that is if you're planted on the sovereignty and providence of God. Now, okay, now I want to pull this right back to 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given us a spirit of fear. This is why so much of the Christian life is fighting off fear. Fear about your work. Fear about, man, what if I don't get it? What if I don't get promoted? All right. All right, let's say you don't get promoted. Okay. Uh, fear about, you know, or I've lost my health or this. So much of life, there's, there's all these, there's a thousand different areas you're fighting off fear. And one day you're fighting off fear over here, and then that gets taken care of, and the next thing you know, you got fear over here. There's always, you're always fighting off fear. All right, now, now let's walk through this. And so much of this has to do with the future. Okay. How do you provide stability as a leader? How do you provide a sense of calm and a sense of wisdom for your family, for your wife, when difficult times are coming and we experience? How do you do that? God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power, power, okay? And of love, and of sound judgment. Um, let me tell you what he's talking about here. The way you fight off fear of the future is by focusing on the power of God. That's how you do it. That's number one, is the power of God. You know, guys, there are certain verses that should be go-to verses that you should have in your life that you should get to know and get familiar with and write down on Post-it notes. And I've said this before in here, but man, how do you memorize Scripture? Well, here's one way you can do it if a verse hits you Get a post-it note, get three or four of them, write out the verse. Uh, put it on your mirror where you shave in the bathroom. Put one on your dash in your car. Put one on your desk where you work and then somewhere else. And just leave them there for about a week. That's all you need to do. And I'm going to tell you something, at the end of the week, you're going to know that verse. Right? Why do you know every Beatles song that's ever been written? Because you heard it so many times. Well, you look at that post-it note in the car, and you look at it in the bathroom, and you look at it in the office, and you look at that post-it note 600 times in a week, and guess what? You're going to know all the words of that verse. Just like that song. <laughs> so flip over. Here's a verse we've gone to many times in here. Let me, let me show, let's talk about the power of God. Let's go to Daniel 2. Okay? So if you're in Psalms, go to the right. If you're in Revelation, go left. If you're in Matthew, go left. If you're in Joel, go left. You'll find Daniel. It takes a little time. 
So again, I've read this so many times in here, but it's a go-to verse. This little verse is chock full of truth that helps you fight off fear and helps you to be confident about your future. And you can then transfer this to those under your charge. Okay? Now watch this. And the context is, Daniel is in this foreign land, the king has a dream, and he says to all the guys, I want you to tell me the dream. And they say, we can't do that. Well, Daniel can, because God's given him a gift. Daniel is revealed, God gives the, the interpretation, he gives him the dream and the interpretation. In thanksgiving to God, I think we read this last week, but I want to say to you, these are go-to verses. You might even think about working on them over the summer. Okay? Watch this. 219, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in the night vision. What mystery? What the king dreamt. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel said, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. Okay, I'll ask the same question I asked before. How much wisdom does God have? All wisdom. All wisdom. Okay, let's stop right here. You're worried about the future. You're worried about laws that are being changed and ignored. You're worried about this and this, about the government and all this. All right, now you've got to stop and ask yourself, this is crazy. This is nuts. How did all this happen? Well, um, God put them there. God put them in there. It says wisdom and power belong to him. How much wisdom does God have? Follow me here. Don't lose me. God has all wisdom. How much power does God have? All wisdom. Uh, uh, keep your finger there and go to Isaiah. Go to the left. Go to Isaiah 40. Look at verse 17. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. So a lot, of, a lot of your worry, what is it about? It's about nations. Maybe this nation. Okay? You know what God says about it? You know what God says about this nation? It's meaningless and void in terms of being compared to him. By the way, then go to uh, uh, 22. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and his inhabitants are like grasshoppers. So those think people you think are powerful, God says they're like little grasshoppers. Look at 23. He it is who reduces rulers to nothing, who makes the judges of the earth meaningless. Scarcely have they been planted, scarcely have they been sown, scarcely is their stock taken root in the earth. He merely blows on them and they wither. It's called term limits. <laughs> and he sets the terms. And the storm carries them away like stubble. Okay? You say, man, I'm really worried about where we are. Okay. Uh, you say, man, I don't get this. I mean, you're saying God put them in? Well, look at, uh, go back to Daniel 2, verse 21. Wisdom and power belong to him. You say, yeah, everything's changing so quickly. Well, look at the next line. It is he who changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. So those who are in authority, how'd they get there? He put them there. You say, yeah, but they're crazy. Yeah. And they're against God. Yeah, they are. But who put them there? God did. Oh, I don't get that. 
Yeah, but he has all wisdom and he has all power. And in his wisdom and with his power, he put them there and he put them there for a reason that you and I cannot fathom because his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. But they couldn't be there unless he put them there. And by the way, he controls them and he owns them and he runs them. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it whatever way he wishes. Proverbs 21.1 is another go-to verse that will help you fight off fear of the future. Okay? Your life is never in the hand of a court or a judge or a jury or this guy. or the, Now, if, if you've disobeyed the law, God uses human institutions. I'm not denying that. That's Romans 13. But ultimately, every decision that affects your life doesn't come from them. It comes from the Lord. Okay? Um, don't forget Proverbs 21.1. Go to Proverbs 16. You say, well, wait a minute. They, that jury may decide they want to go against me and all this. Okay, let me show you something. Proverbs 16, 33. What I want you to know is when you take 21.1 of, of uh, Proverbs, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. God turns it whatever way he wishes. So those in authority, those who have the ultimate authority, God turns their hearts and they do what he says. Now, look at Proverbs 16 and verse 33. The lot is cast into the lap. That means if you go to Vegas and you see some guy throwing dice on the table, come on, baby, come on, baby. He throws that dice. You know how it's coming up? God already determined how it's coming up. Because the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. What do you think about that? If it's true of dice, it's true of any human institution. So that means your life is never in the hands of a human institution. Your life is in the hands of God who runs human institutions. You see? So if they laid you off, it's because he wanted you laid off. Because they couldn't lay you off if it thwarted his plan for your life. Am I making any sense at all? You see? Jesus said to his disciples, they're going to call you up one day before the council. And you're going to be in hot water. And, and you're going to think, what am I going to say? He said, don't worry about what you will say. It will be given to you in that hour. I will give you what you need. Why? Because he controls humans. He controls human hearts. He's, he, he has... You say, that's crazy. He has all power. If you're saying that some official or this guy or this guy runs your life, then God doesn't have all power. But God has all power. And we saw that last week in Nebuchadnezzar, where Nebuchadnezzar thought he had power. And God said, you're going to graze with the Angus for seven years. And he did. Now, see, once again, the reason I go over this is because we're constantly barraged with the fact that all these institutions and government intrusion, all this, this controls my life and your life. It doesn't. He controls them. This is why we don't have to fear the future. We fear God and the fear of the Lord, not the terror of God, but the awe of God. The, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. How do I live with wisdom in a time when difficult times are coming and are getting more difficult? By fearing him instead of men. Am I making sense? 
This is how you fight a, a, a spirit of cowardice. God has not, don't fear those who can kill the body, right? Okay. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but that of power, of power. Let me show you something real quick. Go to... Uh, We'll go there in a minute. Go to Isaiah 46. The other issue that we worry about in terms of the future is monetarily, what the economy was gonna, is going to be. You know, or is, it, is there going to be a collapse coming? Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, what, what, okay, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Am I going to have enough money to make it? Okay, go to Isaiah 46.3. Again, we've been here many times. This is a go-to verse when you start worrying about your financial future. Okay. You lose your retirement, or you lose your pension, or you lose this, or your premium, you hit in the meeting, as I was in this week here with staff, and you know, this has gone up, and this is going up, and teachers, their premiums going up, and you go, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? All right, watch this. 46.3, listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, you who have been born by me from birth, and have been carried from the womb. Even to your old age, I will be the same. And even to your grain years, I will bear you. Get a financial planner. Get a guy who loves the Lord and he's, he's following this stuff. There's some guys in this room that are good guys. They're, they're, they're not only looking at the market, they're asking God for wisdom. You want to, I mean, hook up with a guy like that. But see, ultimately, nobody knows except God. Watch this promise. What's his promise? Even to your old age, I will be the same. Even to your grain years, I will bear you. I have done it, and I will carry you, and I will bear you, and I will deliver you. Is that any more clear? But see, then you say, well, how is he going to do that? Well, he doesn't tell us. He just tells us that he'll do it. Why would you need to know how when you're not there yet? You see? You just need to walk in wisdom and just know that he's going to carry you. He's been carrying you your whole life. You see? Haven't you? Don't you look back and you've seen times where God carried you through? Sure you do. You're not going to stop carrying. Even to your grain years, even to your old age. Hey, and, you know, we get older in life and certain things happen and we don't have what we used to have and all that. It's okay. I mean, nobody wants that, but you know what? He's going to carry you right on through all the way to glory. He's going to carry you. And then all this nonsense and all this suffering and difficulty and you're not quite who you used to be, let me tell you something, you're going to be somebody you never thought you'd be. It's going to be unbelievable. This isn't all there is. It's momentary light affliction. So you don't have to fear the future. But see, once again, this is a go-to verse, Isaiah 46.3. Um. Go to 2 Kings chapter 3. And see, listen, hey, let me tell you how this all, this is a wonderful verse. Isaiah 46, 3, God says, I'll bear you, I'll take care of you, I, even to your growing year. How can he say that? By his power. By his power. Nothing can stop him. Nothing. Nothing can stop him. Nothing can stop him from accomplishing what he wants to accomplish in your life. Nothing can keep him from bearing you and from carrying you and from taking care of you. And he has made promises that seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. That is your daily need and provision. 
He will make a way. You don't know how. You, and it doesn't matter if you've lost it all. It doesn't matter because he is God and he has all power. Does this not help you? It helps me. I think about this stuff all the time. I read these verses all the time. Let me show you uh, 2 Kings 3. And here's what's going to happen. You say, yeah, but Steve, let me tell you something. I'm in a spot and I kind of missed up. Well, join the club. Every guy in here is screwed up. See, sometimes we're in situations because somebody does something to us, but a lot of times we're in a situation because we made a wrong move or we, man, I shouldn't have done that. I had a guy in the locker room the other day. I came out of swim, we're talking. He says, yeah, you know, I made some financial decisions and all that. I got myself in a real hole. And he said, I heard you talk about that the other day on, on, uh, on that podcast. They said, well, yeah. And remember when you got real depressed and you, 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 if God would let you die on the freeway, you'd go do it? Well, I would, not that you'd do it, do it, but you could understand why guys would. I go, yeah. He goes, I was there. I've been there. I said, yeah. We all screw up. Watch this. 2 Kings 3, there's a guy named Jeroboam. He's a good king. Uh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. Uh, it's not Jeroboam. It's Jehoshaphat. By the way, if your wife's pregnant and you're thinking about unique names, just a thought. He'd be the only kid in this class. He wouldn't be Jehoshaphat F or M. He would just be Jehoshaphat. Okay. Jehoshaphat was a good king. But every once in a while, Jehoshaphat, he, he loved the Lord. Every once in a while, he'd do something. It wasn't real bright. He'd make a decision and not check in with the Lord. Sound familiar? So the king of Israel, who's an utter reprobate and against God, he winds up, the king of Israel in the north says, hey, I, Joshua, I need you to help me out. We got to go fight this army and just, just come with me. He goes, okay, I will. And so he does it. He never should have done it. And what happens is, nine, so the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. They made a circuit of seven days journey and there was no water for the army or for the cattle that followed. They get out in the Judean desert and I mean, there's no water. They got their men, they got their cattle and they're going, they're just, they're in circles. They don't know where they are and there's no water and and they're in big trouble. Okay. You ever been in a place like this? I mean, there's no water for miles and miles and miles and miles and miles. And these guys are already parched and dehydrated and it's bad. Okay. 11. Finally, Jehoshaphat said, Is there not a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? One of the kings of Israel's servant answered, Elisha. Elisha. Yeah. He's around. Basically, he says, go get Elisha. They get Elisha. Now, and Elisha's a stud. Elisha said to the king of Israel, what do I have to do with you? He's a reprobate. He, he's a Baal worshiper. You go to the prophets of your father and to the prophets of your mother. You go, you go talk to those guys. You go talk to your false gods. I'm not, I don't have anything to do with you. 14, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look at you or even see you. Bring me a minstrel. Anybody got a CD here? Put on some music. And the Lord came upon him. Verse 16, he said, The Lord says, make this valley full of trenches. That's nonsense. It's a desert. It's Mojave Desert. It's Gobi Desert. It's Judean. Make this valley full of trenches. Get the shovels and start digging trenches. Now watch this. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water, so that you shall drink, both you and your cattle and your beast. 
Oh, and by the way, that's exactly what happened. Because if you go on and read it, verse 20, it happened in the morning about the time of offering the sacrifice that, behold, water came by way of Edom and the country was filled with water. There was no water. I'll tell you what happened. They dug trenches miles and miles and miles and miles away in the mountains of Edom. There was a storm. There was thunder. There was lightning. But they were so far away, as verse 17 says, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain. It was so far away, they never saw the storm, they never saw the rain. It was up in the mountains. But what God did is, in his power, he brought a storm to the mountains, torrential rain that came flowing down the mountains, and as it came into the desert valley floor, and it reaches a certain border where it usually stops, it didn't stop because they had dug trenches and that water came and filled the trenches. And if you go on and read what happened, because that water is coming down out of those mountains and there's that reddish sandstone, it had that reddish sandstone tent. And then the sun is hitting that reddish sandstone tent and the enemies they were pursuing looked upon that from a distance, thought the valley was full of blood because the armies of Judah and Israel had turned on each other and they said, they've killed each other. Let's go in and get their spoil. And they go in and the army of the, God, of the Lord is waiting on them and they destroy them. Just as it said in verse 17, in verse 18, uh, verse 18, he will also give the Moabites into your hands. So what does God do? He fills it with trench, the water with trenches. There, there was no possible way of trenches, but in his power, he sends a storm miles away. It comes down the mountains, hits the trenches, fills. Not only do they give, give them the water, it destroys their enemies. Oh, is that not amazing? Is that not amazing? All right, look at verse 18. This is but a slight thing in the sight of the Lord. It's, I mean, it's no big deal. Why? Because of his power. So here's my question. Where are you and what are you fearful about? The power of God. You say, but Steve, I, I've kind of screwed up and, you know, I don't always do the things I should do. And Well, neither did Jehoshaphat. See, he's our savior. Jehoshaphat was in this position because he didn't consult with the Lord, just as I haven't and you haven't at times. And then what do we do? We go, wait a minute. You know what, Lord? I kind of screwed up here. And what did God do? He, he comes with his power, and he rescues, and he saves, and he delivers by his power. Why? Because he loves us, because we're in Christ. God has not given us the spirit of fear, watch this, but of power and, what's next? Love. See, we think we're not lovable because of our sin. But let me tell you something. He loved us before we loved him. In fact, we love him because he first loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Look at, go to Romans 8. Maybe the greatest chapter in the entire Bible because it sums up the entire gospel. Romans 8. Romans 8 is pretty much go-to. Because it calms you down as you have fear about the future. Romans 
I'll just pick one nugget out of Romans 8. Because oftentimes we think because we sin, God doesn't really love us. Wait a minute. He sent his son to die for you. Look at, look at 8, uh, look at, look at 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? You don't think he loves you? He sent his son to die for you. He sent his son to pay the penalty for your sins. That's why if you look at Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation now to those who are in Christ Jesus. Do we deserve to be condemned? Yeah, but the condemnation that should have come, on, come upon us was put on Jesus. The wrath that should have come upon us was put on Jesus. And Jesus paid it all. Yeah, but Steve, if, 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 but see, God hasn't delivered me. I'm in this really tough spot. I'm in this really tough situation. And I know God has the power, but he hasn't done it. And I know he loves me, but, but he just keeps leaving me here. And he's not delivering me. He's not helping me out. How many times have you seen the word wait in the scripture? Let me, let me give you two verses. Number one, Psalm 84, 11. Because of his power and because of his love, watch this. Psalm 84, 11. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Did you get that? No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Now, does that mean that we have every good thing in our lives that we would like to have right now? The answer is no. Listen to Obadiah Sedgwick. He wrote this. And when he talks about a good man, he's talking about a man that's following the Lord. Listen to this. No good man ever lacked anything that was good for him. I may lack a thing which is good, but not which is good for me. Did you get that? Sometimes you look around and your friends have things that are good and they've been given those things by God and they're wonderful, but you don't have that. And the Bible says no good thing to see withhold from those who walk uprightly. See, the reason you don't have that good thing is that for right now, that, that's not a good thing for you, although it might be in the future. It would be a good thing for you to be delivered, but you're not delivered right now. Why is that? Because sometimes God delays the answer. Why does he delay the answer? Because, because he is the God, Daniel said, he is the God who has all wisdom. See, I think, no, I need that right now. Actually, you don't. You think you do. But he is the God of all wisdom and he is the God of all power. And with his wisdom coupled with his power, when it is the best time for you to have that good, you will have it. It will be the right time. The right time. You still with me? I'm almost done here. We got we to think biblically here. Let me give you one other, let me give you one other verse. Psalm 31, 19. Because <laughs> some of you guys are missing a good in your life. How long am I going to have to wait? All right, watch this. How great is your goodness, watch this, which you have stored up for those who fear you. He's got good things stored. You ever do layaway at Christmas? My mom would do layaway. 
in the 50s. That's what godly women did in the 50s. All kinds of women did that. The apartment stores had layaway. We go to Brock's in Bakersfield. I remember my mom, she's putting something on layaway. They brought layaway back since 2008 because we really need layaway now. And you'd buy something, and they'd lay it away in the back room, and you'd pay them five bucks a week, you know, for six months. And then you'd get it paid off just before Christmas, and then you'd get it. That's layaway. What is, uh, what does that say, 3119? How great is thy goodness which you have stored up, which you have laid away for those who fear you. And he brings it out at the right time. Sedgwick, one more time. As he is the Lord God of our mercies, so he is the Lord of our times. Watch this. He often delays us when he does not intend to deny us. Did you get that? He often delays the good when he does not intend to deny the good. (laughs) (laughs) That is great. You ever do that with your kids? They want a good, but you delay it because they're not ready for it. He says, providence will find a time to do us good. Although God does take time, yet he will not waste time. I love that. He'll never waste a moment of your life. Isaiah 49, 23. Know that I am the Lord. They shall not be ashamed. Watch this. That wait for me. So wait on him. He's got the wisdom. He's got the power. No, no, I need. Hey, hey, just chill out, man. Listen. Get under the sovereignty and say, Lord, I would like to be delivered now, but if it is the best thing, I pray, help me to be patient until the time comes I pray not my will, but thine be done. Pray that. Can you not trust him with your life and with the timing? The time of his providence is always the best time. Now catch this. The delays of providence are not denials, but preparation. And then here's one more for you, and I finish with this. Providence often doubles the mercy by delaying the mercy. Did you get that? Providence often doubles the mercy by delaying the mercy. I would give you Isaiah 61.7, and I would give you the ending of the book of Job. Everything Job lost, God gave back to him, what? Double. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but that of power and of love. Watch this. And sound judgment. I need to take a step back when I'm facing a fearful situation and use sound judgment by looking at his power and his love and what he has done for me and wait on his timing, knowing that at the right moment he will do good and he will deliver. And not only will he do that, but often he doubles. When he delays, he doubles. So, 
recently. I'm talking to a young guy, mid-30s. I've known him for quite a while. Watched him over the years, and uh, it's been interesting to watch him because uh, I, I watched him get married, you know, a couple kids, all that. Watched him in his career, uh, was in a field. At a certain point, thought that he should go get a seminary degree, which he did because he thought God was leading him over here, and then he finished that degree, took him a lot of time, worked hard, and then God never led him over there, and he found himself right back where he was in the business world. Somewhat befuddled. Why did that happen? Why did I spend that money? Why did I take all that time? Because that just makes no sense that I, I mean, he didn't get that. God did not open a door. So he's back where he was. And, and you know, just kind of being faithful, and, and uh, now he has more responsibility and he needs a little bit more income. And so a friend told him about a position with a great company and a lot of Christian guys involved. And he interviews and it was really going well and it looked like it was. And then after a while, it just, no, we're not, this isn't the time. We're not hiring right now. We decided to wait. Goes another six, eight months. It was kind of a disappointment. Circles back around, same company. Comes up again. Looks like this time it's going to fly, this, this, this. Then he finds out uh, if indeed a job opens up, it's going to be at the same pay he's at right now, which won't help him. Was that a disappointment? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then you got the word, we've decided not to move ahead at all, probably not even in the future. Was that discouraging? Hurt his confidence a little bit? Oh, yeah. He's talking to me, asking me what I think. I, I said, you know what? I think you're right on schedule, and I think you're right. You're just following the Lord. This is kind of how God works. He works sovereignly. He works strangely. This makes no sense, and he works slowly, right? Not a lot's happening. He goes, yeah. I said, you keep being faithful. Keep following Christ. Keep loving your wife. Keep being a good dad. You're doing a good job at work. Just keep it up. Just be faithful. Out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. But he says, hey, there's this company coming to Texas. You gotta... He does something online. He gets a call. Can you do an interview in a few days? Yeah. They call him, he does the interview. They say, great, someone will call you in two days. They called him in two days. Uh, they interviewed him. Okay, that's, oh, hey, great. We'll call you in uh, three more days. They called him in three more days. Right on, everything they said, they do. And then, uh, what was interesting, this is interesting. Uh, one of the reasons they liked him was that he had this degree that no one else they were looking at had a degree even remotely similar, but that unique job, not a Christian company, that would really actually help him in this. And, and, and that was one of the things that, that he thought was waste, actually qualified him in a non-Christian company. Oh, by the way, they hired him. And you know what they're paying him? Double. To the penny. Double. Double. That just happened a few weeks. When God delays the mercy, he often doubles. I've seen it in my life. We don't have to fear the future, guys. We don't have to fear the future. You can be calm. You can be stable. You can have peace in your heart as long as you stay focused on the run, one who runs the world and runs your life. Am I making sense? I love this stuff. It's the greatest stuff in the world, and you love it too. Let's pray. Our future is in your hands, Lord.
And as you've been faithful to us in the past, you'll be faithful to us in the future. Because of your power, because of your love. Help us to exercise sound judgment and sound thinking as we wait for your goodness. To not flip out, to not panic. To keep our Bibles open and fix our eyes on Jesus. He is saved and he will continue to save all the days of our lives. We have nothing to fear. In his great name we pray. Amen.